So we thank you, Lord, for your presence with us this night. We ask you, Jesus, to speak to us through this moment when you speak to your people. We trust that we would hear your word. We praise your name. Amen. Amen. Well, recently I was in Singapore uh, preaching the gospel there over a week. And I took the opportunity, because I was downtown, to walk through Orchard Street, or Orchard Road, they call it, in Singapore. Some of you would have been there. It's the most ritzy road in the world. In terms of all of these brand name shops that people go and spend a fortune in. And there are all sorts of Christmas trees everywhere and uh, there was music going, jingle bells, all that sort of thing. And it was all very beautiful. And reindeers all over the place, lights all over them and uh, Santa Clauses and everything. And I was very, you know, caught up in it all. But then all of a sudden the sadness came over my heart. Where is Jesus? I couldn't find Jesus. In the midst of all this huge commercialization of the most important event in human history. Where's Jesus? And I'm sitting down trying to enjoy eating an ice cream. Uh, and thinking, oh, this is so sad. All these people, because there are thousands of people parading up and down, buying things and singing, doing all sorts of things. But where's Jesus? And as I was sitting there, getting to the end of my ice cream, from somewhere, I'm not quite sure where, there came a song. Half the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Ah, I was so lifted in spirit from what had been a prevailing depression and darkness. Because the true reason for the season was being proclaimed. The name of Jesus, the newborn king, huh? I don't go shopping in Australia, so I don't know what it's like in the shopping malls here. But I'm sure it's something similar. <laughs> but we have this beautiful gospel today. Now Mary was pregnant, to the great surprise of Joseph. Who was her betrothed one? They were betrothed, that means they were already married, but had not yet come to live together. Because that had to take a little time before they came to live together. So they hadn't had sexual intercourse, and here it is. Poor Joseph, faced with this mystery. And he is a just man, and he decides that he will divorce her informally. That is, he won't make a public humiliation of her, which he could do by going through a legal process, but he had another option. And so he decided to divorce her informally. But then a dream comes. 
And in the dream he's told, Joseph, don't be afraid. The child that Mary has has come from the Holy Spirit. And so take her home as your wife. And she'll have a child. And you are to name him Jesus. Jesus. There are two names given to the incarnate Son of God in today's Gospel. The first is this one. Jesus. The second is Emmanuel. Name him Jesus, which it means is Joshua in the Hebrew, uh, which means Yahweh saves. God, as was known in the Old Testament, saves. And you're to be called that. So Jesus would be called God saves. It already speaks of the mission that Jesus came for. He was born into the world for this purpose, as the Saviour. And the angel says to Joseph, that's why he'll be called Jesus, because he is to save his people from their sins. Now Joseph could well have been quite disappointed at this point, Because he, like all of the others, were expecting a Messiah who would do a great feat of liberating them from the Roman oppression. Because there were people under political oppression, occupied territory of the Romans. And there were people who were suffering greatly. And surely the Messiah would come to set them free of all that. And all he's hearing is that this child is going to forgive sins. Seems like not enough. But in fact, we know in faith that that's everything. What's in the name Jesus? Everything's in the name Jesus. The one who saves us from our sin. This is the core mission of Jesus. Born to save us from sin. Because what is the deepest predicament that humanity is in? Well, you could say, well, that's all of the, uh, the poverty in the world. Or you could say, well, no, it's, a, it's a, the, the, the stuff that's going on with uh, human trafficking. Or, or you can make up, you can say many things that are wrong with our world. But what's the deepest problem? What's at the core of all problems? Sin! It's only a small word, but it carries a big reality. The fundamental prideful rejection of God. The refusal to give glory to God. That's the big problem that's caused so many other problems. And that's why Jesus came fundamentally. Because the sin of the world, our sin, and the sin from human uh, Adam and Eve right through, in an accumulative way, has left humanity in darkness. Unable to see the truth without the love of God. And also left humanity blind. Uh, like captive 
to sin. That's why the Messiah is always presented in the Gospels when Jesus says, you know, he'll open the eyes of the blind. He'll set the captives free. This is what we rejoice in at this time, that we have a Saviour. He will turn around and has turned around now the worst thing that happened to humanity when we rejected God. You know that uh, story in the Gospel when the paralyzed man is lowered down from the, through the roof and Jesus has been teaching in the house and they couldn't get in any way so they broke open the roof and they, 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 lift, they lowered him down. And, and the first thing Jesus does astounds everybody. You'd think he would say, okay, heal this paralyzed man. The first thing he does is he says, your sins are forgiven. He goes to the core of the problem first. And that's all the healings in the Gospel, when the eyes of the blind are open, and the lame leap for joy, when, when the deaf hear, and the dumb speak, they're symbols of a deeper reality going on. That sin is being dealt with, because that's what really paralyzes us. That's what makes us blind and deaf. That's why we can't uh, see our through in, 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 in our lives. And, and, and and so basically, humanity has been in a position where we thought we could save ourselves, and we still do. Look around the world today. There's something wrong with the world that's obvious. You only have to plug into any news outlet and you know there's something wrong. People are killing one another, there's wars on, there's, there's, there's hatred, bitterness, anger, there's division. What's gone wrong? What's gone wrong is human sin. And the only way this can be fixed is by the Saviour, Jesus. It's fundamental, but it's forgotten. It's very rarely mentioned in all of the efforts that we have to try and make a better world. There's really good people out there, you and I too, trying to make a better world, trying to build a world of harmony and justice and peace and freedom, etc., but it cannot happen without the Saviour. It'll always fall limp and be useless. The image I sometimes use is of the Titanic, you know. When the Titanic set out on its journey, you know, it was like a symbol of all of the ingenuity and, and, and science that's been put together, technological sort of prowess at that time. And, and someone wrote on it, even God couldn't sink the ship. In fact, it went into a, an iceberg uh, in the middle of the night, as you know only too well. You've all seen the movie. Uh, and uh, uh, I haven't, actually. But, like, um, <laughs> but, you know, there's no point at that stage just rearranging the deck chairs. Because down below the hull, there's a huge hole in the hull. And many of the efforts to try and build a better world are so much just like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's a pretty useless thing to do when you've got a big hole in the hull and the whole show is sinking. And that's how it is with, with humanity without the Saviour. Now the word Jesus, and have a love for that word. Never misuse it. 
The word Jesus, God saves. Reverence the name of Jesus in your heart and always reverence him on your lips. This word Jesus, it sums up the whole gospel. Allow it to be in your heart and on your lips at all times, but in reverence of God and to the glory of God. Because sin operates like quicksand. I hope you've never been in quicksand. Uh, But quicksand works such that it sort of sucks you down, right? And you can't get out of it by your own efforts, no matter how hard you try to break free. The more you try and struggle, the more you get stuck in it. And the more you go down until you sink underneath and that's the end of you, right? Uh, at least in this life. But um, sin is like that. It sucks you right down. And you need a saviour, someone who's going to sort of come and lift you out. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that we have a saviour. He came born of a a woman named Mary, with a foster father named Joseph, and came for this purpose that the angel spoke to both Mary and to Joseph, that he will be called Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. So let's not allow the quicksand of, of, of sin. You see, out there, so much like people are sinking, and they don't know why they're sinking. Why is it all going wrong? It's all going wrong because we have not turned to the only one who can save us. Now, there are many names, of course, of religious people. We can give the name of Buddha, we can give the name of Muhammad, we can give the name of many, but there's only one who is the Saviour. Now, when the apostles were held up before the, the Senate in the early church, and uh, they were told, don't preach in the name of Jesus, because it's too powerful. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. They said, we cannot but preach in the name of Jesus, because that's the only name by which we'll be saved. That's the only name by which we have salvation. Jesus Christ, who is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Now in Psalm 40, it's a beautiful psalm, because it's going back to that quicksand, you know, where you can be sinking. And I've had this in my own personal life, where I know I've been sinking into the quicksand of sin, and helpless to be able to overcome its power. And it says, I waited, I waited for the Lord, and he heard my cry. He reached down to me, and he lifted me out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on firm ground, and he put a new song into my mouth, a song of praise to my God. That's what we celebrate. So Jesus, then also he is called Emmanuel in this beautiful gospel. And that came from Isaiah's prophecy, which was given exactly 733 years before Jesus. It was 733 BC when this prophecy was given that there'd be a virgin who would give birth to a child and he'd be called Emmanuel. And scholars have looked at that text in Isaiah And they've tried to find a way in which it could be explained in the context of the times. There's all sorts of theories, but no theory satisfies. Why? Because this is one of those texts that God allowed to come from the the lips of a prophet 
and to be written down so that it would only be fulfilled with the coming of the Messiah. It's one of those texts. It's a, it's a word waiting to be fulfilled. We heard it in the first reading. And then it's fulfilled when it's given by, by Matthew here in today's Gospel as a proof of who Jesus is. He's God with us. Emmanuel. How miraculous it is, isn't it, that 733 years beforehand, this word was given by Isaiah. No one's been able to understand what it meant. Probably the prophet himself didn't know what it meant. But isn't it beautiful? There was like a, a keyhole that was there uh, that then the only key that could fit it and bring it to fulfilment was the Christ himself. How beautiful is that? And what it speaks of is that we have a God who's not patronising. He's not sort of up in the heavens looking down at us sort of with disdain. He's not a God uh, who is disinterested in us and, and our suffering. He knows what it's like to be in our skin because he's born into our skin. Now many um, years ago, I remember hearing a story of, um, uh, from the United States of America when the Afro-Americans were having a great deal of trouble being able to assert their rights and their dignity around about the time of Martin Luther King. It was really a, a horrible time. This journalist decided he wanted to know what it felt like to be a black man. So he actually was able to get some sort of way of his pigments of his skin for temporarily being changed to become black. I'm not quite sure how he did that. Didn't just paint it, but there's there a way you can do it. And so he actually became black for a while. He went out into the streets and began to um, experience what it was like to be oppressed. When he'd get onto a bus, he'd be told to sit down back. Now, uh, uh, when he went up to a shop, he sometimes wouldn't be, be uh, served. And when you go to a toilet, you'd have to go to where the blacks go to the toilet rather than to the whites. All that segregation was going on. He experienced it inside himself and he wrote about it, you know. The pain and the anguish that he experienced, he didn't know from his, his privileged position as a white. That's a similar way of way in which God has come to us. You know, he's entered into our oppression, he's entered into our, our problem and struggle and the anguish of our hearts. You know, he's allowed himself to become one like us in all things but sin. He's experienced all of the consequences of sin. He's come into our weakness and our brokenness and our, uh, the mess of our human condition and all the dysfunction that we experience in, in, in our relationships. He's come into all of that. And he's become one with us in that. But in fact, he wasn't like, just like that, that journalist because that journalist then eventually, sort of after a month, uh, his pigment and skin came back to white again. And it was reversible for him. But for God, it's not reversible. You know, he's come to be with us, and is still with us, and will always be with us forever. And Matthew finishes his Gospel saying, you know, remember that I'm with you, what Jesus is saying, and remember I'm with you until the end of the age. I'm with you, I'm God with you, that's who I am. I'll never desert you, I'll never abandon you, I'll never let you go. Yes, I'm a saving God, and a God who is constant and faithful, and I'll be with you, always. 
That's the difference, I think, with, with Jesus. Becoming one of us. Not just with us, but one of us. And irreversibly so. He knows our pain. He knows our sorrow. He knows our anguish. He, he brings hope. Our circumstances may change, but God does not abandon. He suffers with us. That's the beautiful thing, isn't it? John Paul II said, The cross is the love of God touching the deepest wounds of humanity. He's entered into our deepest woundedness. He's there with us whenever we experience the trouble, the trial, the struggle, the difficulty, the anguish of heart, whatever it is. Now, I was speaking to a young priest recently who told me about an experience that he had. He was anointing a victim of AIDS. And this young man had become so emaciated, he just was, it was just all bone. He was dying of AIDS. And his mother was there. And his mother was weeping, of course, because she's seeing her son die. This young priest was anointing the boy. And as he was anointing, he was saying some of the words that were given to him to say, you know, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. And he said he couldn't say those words meaningfully because inside his heart he couldn't see how the burden could be lifted for these people who are suffering so much. But afterwards, outside in the um, waiting room, uh, he met again with the mother and he said, look, I had a big struggle in there. I couldn't really pray those words. And she said to him, she said, Father, in life, if you don't kick against the goad, if you accept what God brings, and if you know that he is with you in it, then yes, he does make your burden light. And he felt really chastised because <laughs> she had greater faith than him. And there's people like that, isn't it, who have great faith. I remember going to the hospital once with a young man too, who was dying of cancer. He had a, a, like a tumour within him that was as big as a football. And I was trying to say the right things, you know, as you do, and just trying to be present in some way, meaningfully. And he said to me, Father, he said, um, I now know the meaning of those words of St. Paul, where he says, these are the trials for which we triumph by the power of him who loves us. And then, that nothing can come between us and the love of God made visible in Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate. Because God has wedded himself to us. He wedded himself to our humanity. Into the deepest, darkest le level of our humanity, he went right to the cross for our sake. He's right there with us. And we have nothing to fear, nothing to worry. Uh, we can draw our strength from him in those worst moments because he's there. Nothing can come between us and the love of God made visible in Jesus Christ. Nothing. No matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, no matter what sort of uh, unexpected calamity comes upon us, he is God with us. He's there. And how wonderful is that? And that's what we celebrate here most of all as we go into Christmas. 
We thank God that he is Emmanuel. We thank him that he is Jesus, our Saviour. Bless his name.